I will then begin to read uh, from online questions. <clears throat> when I ponder the arrow hitting the mark and sticking, it brings both an awareness of the depth of yearning for this to be and an awareness that perhaps I haven't yet let the arrow go for fear it will not hit the mark. And if it does hit the mark, will it stick? I think that's a common set of fears that many do have. It brings tears and my heart center vibrates at how much I yearn for this to be and how much I want to simply just let the arrow fly, and yet, here I am. The pain, mental and emotional, that is appearing to be being generated feels as if this process is dissolving the bars of the cage, thus freeing the soul to fly. So, is the arrow flying the same as the soul in motion toward home? Good question. Uh, I would say no, it's not yet. Uh, this is the escape uh, from the first emptiness. The bars, I think, uh, represent uh, the, uh, the caged consciousness within the quantum wave function that's collapsed. And one feels constrained by one's ego, but unable to, to escape it. And so the flying away of that is uh, the capacity then to uh, reach the, the qualium level and, and the level of uh, awareness of the qualium level in which uh, there is no longer any pain or any passion or any suffering. You see, all of that is the quantum wave responding to the qualium wave because they are not entirely in sync. Be, because the, the, the quantum is lacking uh, a, a certain object of desire that's being foisted upon it from uh, within its own programming as, a, as an intentionality to find uh, the, the object that will fulfill it, which is a fantasy, of course. So uh, the, the hitting of the target can only come after the bird has flied, flown out of the cage completely and then out of the more subtle cage of the energy field of the qualium wave and both are decollapsed. And then one can pull the bow string back and the arrow without any shaking. There's no more pain, there's no more anxiety, there's no more fear of not hitting the mark. And then the arrow flies from Atman to Brahman and, uh, and the, the entire individuation project of consciousness is fulfilled by universalization so that there, they, there is no longer any desire to remain as a... Uh, as a uh, uh, an appearance in the world, which would decollapse again or recollapse a new wave function. So it's not that hitting the mark will make you think that you are a Buddha now, right? For example, because then you've, you've collapsed it and you've become again an object, which is why in the Diamond Cutter Sutra, Buddha is always saying, 
if you are a bodhisattva, you do not think you are a bodhisattva, right? If you think you are, you are not, you know? And if you're trying to fulfill the bodhisattva vow, you don't understand that vow, okay? So there, there is uh, the hitting of the mark comes when uh, one is beyond a, uh, uh, a binary logic of true or false and, uh, and of right or wrong or yes or no. And it, uh, it, it is the, uh, the arrow flying is the end of, uh, of the, the sense of an individual uh, being uh, acting uh, in a multiplicity. And, and as soon as that target is hit, uh, the whole uh, paradigm of a, a world and a, and a sense of being a someone in a world dissolves with that union of the arrow and the target. The bull's eye is hit and the eye of Shiva opens. Okay, so... These days I feel like floating in different states of being, dream and reality, not knowing which is which. Through the day, short flashes of sensations, feelings, images surface. They are familiar, however, I cannot distinguish if they are memories of dreams or of my daily life, and more and more often it literally feels like I am walking in a dream. Everything around me feels unreal. A strong longing to wake up from it. Underneath, a sadness of saying goodbye. How many people can relate to that feeling? Yeah? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very common uh, feeling, especially these days when the world is very surreal and, uh, and, and things are happening that you, know, in, you, you couldn't believe uh, are possible to actually happen uh, in terms of their illogic and apparent stupidity of, of people who should be intelligent and uh, uh, the... the uh, appearance of unintended consequences and, uh, and the sense of, uh, of a culture that has completely dissipated into a complete inability of communication between one person and another. It's like there is such a chasm between people who, who cannot find common ground uh, and, uh, and not uh, and, and you don't feel understood, and you feel more than just a, a stranger in a strange land, but in a, in a strange world that you don't know, is it real or unreal, or, or, uh, and it feels like a dream. But the feeling is there because it is the truth. The world is unreal, and it is morphing. At the end of time, it morphs to become so unreal that no one any longer could believe it is real, okay? It, it has to become recognized as a dream, and 
it becomes recognized that you are contributing to the nature of that dream. It is being from the position of multiplicity collectively co-dreamed, but it is also being dreamed ultimately by a single intelligence spread out through that network and uh, through its individual nuances and permutations uh, to create this uh, unreality from which everyone will feel alienated, okay? Which is why probably you feel okay here, you know, because we are talking about that. And, and usually you can't even bring up a subject like that, right? Because it's, it, it would create too much anxiety. So if you feel safe enough to, to fully uh, unfold uh, the hidden anxieties uh, from the, the, the qualia level of the uh, intelligence, then uh, it begins to uh, deconstruct that, that whole paradigm that feels like it's, it's in a world that it doesn't belong in. Somehow we got shifted into a parallel universe, you know, or the Mandela effect took over or something like that. You know, there's, there's a strangeness that uh, even affects your memory and your, your sense of, uh, of, of, uh, of whether uh, you remember accurately uh, what happened even the day before with someone who disagrees uh, and, uh, and, and you can't get even agreement about some very minor thing. So there's a, there's a sense of, uh, of, of not trusting oneself that can come along with this. But once you understand that that is the nature of dream and that uh, you're supposed to uh, use that feeling in order to wake up from the dream, and the problem that is actually being expressed is this last sentence underneath a sadness of saying goodbye. Because you see, who would you be saying goodbye to? Uh, you're, there is no one to say goodbye to. That's really what the sadness is about. You're actually, when you wake up from the dream, only saying goodbye to yourself or who you thought was yourself. You know, that's what disappears when the dream disappears. So uh, if you can be in a state where you're not sad <clears throat> that you no longer exist and therefore whatever attachments you had to other people no longer exist, you know, and there's a complete clean slate in which you're perfectly fine being alone and, uh, and, and learning uh, what reality is like from a place that can uh, interpret the dream without being in it. And then you are no longer of the world, but you are of a level of intelligence that recognizes that this is only a projection of consciousness. It is mind, it is simply the movement of mind, and you are the intellect that is actually moving the mind uh, to bring all of this about, but that there is no other 
that is, uh, is uh, creating strangeness or that can be lost that you will be sad about. It's all uh, the mind that is uh, eternal and nothing is ever lost. So I hope that helps in some way. I guess practically the point is to witness the sadness and not identify with it. And then uh, your interest in the dream will dissipate and you will be more interested in who am I the dreamer. And that's when you'll be in the second emptiness and the dream will disappear. So, uh, Shunya mentioned using the trickster archetype, Vamana, to trick the ego. Could I, could I expand on this? Okay, how is this done? Well, the tricking of the ego, of course, is happening at a, um, a level of the inherent wisdom of the Buddha nature. That's who tricks the ego, right? And uh, how the ego gets tricked is uh, it overestimates itself and overinflates a particular desire that it has that, um, that becomes so urgent that it puts itself into a position in which it will have no choice, but it must uh, delete the ego to survive. Uh, it, it, the situation will either be so difficult uh, or, or so uh, dangerous or so, um, uh, let, let's say, delusional uh, that will one, one will begin to feel that one is uh, losing one's uh, capacity to, uh, to feel real, a derealization and a depersonalization process will begin that will, be, will begin as a very malignant kind of terror and uh, it will force one then to enter a state in which one completes the dissolving of the person and that person's reality voluntarily from a place of uh, complete transcendence, nirvanic peace, and the anxiety and the terror are overcome and defeated and the real is uh, restored but it will, it's usually the, the ego uh, in a very uh, uh, overwhelming situation that it created through uh, a, a, an error in judgment based on wishful thinking. Okay? Do these Eastern stories relate to our bodies like I found in the Torah? This repetition of wandering is clearly the original state of the vagus nerve. Yes, that's true. Uh, 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 the, the word vagus means wandering. Vagueness even, right, uh, uh, comes from this. Uh, but it's fractally uh, related to every plane. It's not simply the body or the let's say the anamaya kosha level, the same wandering of currents of energy are on the pranamaya kosha 
and in the Manumaya Kosha and in all the Koshas and the, in the Sutratma and, uh, and the wandering even has, of course, a cosmic dimension. So it's fractally self-similar at every level and dimension of consciousness, but it includes the body and the body's um, physiology indeed. You spoke about the mythical characters within each individual. Could you speak about the internal family system approach to parts of self and its blind spots? Yes, okay, the internal family system, this is a relatively recent, actually the last 20 years or so, I think, uh, a theory of uh, uh, originally a family therapy, but that got then... Uh, applied to individual therapy. And it's true as far as it goes, but it doesn't go nearly far enough because although the first tree rings are about the internal family system, as you grow into adulthood and relate to other people, if you, for example, have a deep intimate relationship or you marry someone, uh, you are going to internalize their internal family system. Uh, and, and they yours. And, and it's not simply the family system, but it will be every system that you entered into after uh, or, or during the phase when you were living with the family of origin, but also uh, it's uh, sequelae in other, let's say, thought communities that you might be part of. So, for example, if uh, a Jewish person, person marries a Buddhist, uh, the, the, <clears throat> the Jew will become a, a Buddhaist rather than a, you know, a Judaist, and the, uh, the Buddhist will be, become the Jew and the Lotus, you know, but there will be a, a, a mutual pervasion or interpervasion of their systems of thought. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, they, they will become, you know, hybrids uh, that are heretical to anyone outside of that dyadic uh, uh, new system that is created within uh, that uh, now external family system that will be internalized in their children if they have any, right? So there will be a, um, uh, a continuing uh, growth of uh, these kinds of uh, internalized systems that will affect one's uh, intersubjective capacity to relate to others who, uh, who may be in uh, incompatible uh, thought communities or, or with different uh, uh, basic paradigms of, of, uh, of reality. And it's very, uh, very often the case that, uh, that people are... Uh, unable to relate to each other if they, uh, if they are from, from too different a, uh, uh, a background of, uh, of systems in which they are, uh, to which they are identified. Uh, but in any case, <clears throat> I think the answer to your question is more that you can start with the internal family system but uh, there's a system of systems that will ultimately have to be released 
that, that is based on the qualia level, not the quantum level of uh, what, what the actual mind is structured by, but what the virtual mind is, uh, is structured by, which, has, uh, which, which doesn't come from the family system because it's what caused you to enter that family system to be born into it in the first place. Okay. Are we living in a simulation? Is this what we are? Is there a benefactor that's directing all of this? Uh, the resets have happened for thousands of years. We go from horse and buggy to hadron collider in a mere 150 years, etc. So, yes, we're living in a simulation, and yes, there's a benefactor. That's the good news. Uh, and it's not a simulation being controlled by aliens or a science project of uh, high school students uh, on another planet or, you know, in a, in a future time period that are bringing their ancestors back uh, on their screens or uh, creating a holographic movie to remember how it was in Kali Yuga, you know. Uh, it's a, uh, it's a, a reflection of the infinite intelligence of the Buddha mind or the mind of God, and we have never left the Godhead so when we say it's a simulation, uh, what's important to recognize is that even the concept of simulation is a simulation because no concept uh, can uh, touch reality. It can only be analogous and therefore an imitation based on, on prior uh, patterns of energy. So uh, it, it can't be understood ultimately that way because since it is the mind of God, it is not a simulation, it's completely real, okay? This is why the famous syllogism of Adi Shankara has three lines, and, and most people stop at the second. The world is unreal, only Brahman is real. The world is Brahman, okay? You have to get to that one. If you think you're in a world, then indeed it's a simulation. But when you realize you're in the Godhead, no, this is totally real. But it's real at a different ontological level with entirely different consequences for the, uh, the energy that gets expressed in the field, which will become from paranoia shifting into divine love. And then Kali Yuga morphs into Sat Yuga, you see? And, and this is how the, uh, the seasons of time uh, shift into one another from these various levels of realization that happen within the Godhead. But we have never left uh, God and we are nothing but the mind of God uh, in, in its own unfoldment uh, of uh, delight. Okay. If nothing exists, what's the point of anything? Oh, that's <laughs> well, the point is to, to enjoy it, you see, and nothing exists, that's the good news. Uh, but uh, you see, 
the one who is aware that nothing exists does exist. And, and so for you to realize that nothing exists means that your intelligence is awakened to a certain fact. And that is the point of it, to awaken to the non-existence of what you might have thought was reality and to the realization that what you didn't think was real or existed at all is in fact all that's real. And then there's a complete transvaluation of your relationship to what is non-existent but is in fact a beautiful dream field that is now the, um, the, the palette that you can use as a supreme painter or poet or artist of whatever kind to, uh, to bring the mandala of the dream into more beautiful form through your own emanation of uh, beauty and love and peace and goodness and purity and uh, divine intelligence. And the world becomes conformed and annealed by the energy of that uh, divine power. Okay. At this point, the illusion of being a separate entity is not really a curse or a mistake, but a privilege and an instrument of fun. Wouldn't it be fair to appreciate it rather than shirk it? Absolutely, that's what I, I'm teaching. Uh, don't run away. Uh, you can't run away anyway, uh, but uh, don't, don't uh, run away from, uh, from samsara, but realize it's nirvana, and when you do, you'll be able to live fully uh, and live large, as they used to say, to live uh, the, the total fulfillment of your infinite potentiality so that you won't, you won't feel like you didn't go for it. You, know? you, you don't want to die feeling like you never fully lived, right? And, and unfortunately, most people I think have that regret that they, they didn't go for it, you know? And uh, even though they didn't know what they should go for, but uh, the, the, the full achievement of uh, realization of the self uh, while alive is what makes life worth living. And so uh, this is our, uh, our vision quest. And that's what makes it fun, okay? If you want to use that Disney World type term. <laughs> okay, uh, I've been born into a Jewish Orthodox, it says occult, but I think cult is what you mean, <clears throat> and suffered uh, mental and physical violence, never felt love with institutionalized religion, how do I solve the crisis of the ego, which has been so deeply indoctrinated from childhood? My ego, which manipulates my mind, constantly blocks my free will, and my superego manipulates my five senses, including meditation uh, sessions. When we, <clears throat> what we perceive is what we see. well, the question goes on, but the question is, how can we find the purpose in life in such darkness? Is it my karma? 
Okay, there's a number of different uh, questions in this. Uh, <clears throat> I would say that at the end of Kali Yuga, almost everyone is born into a relatively traumatic situation. Uh, there's very few people who get uh, a, a, a healthy internalized family system uh, or, or, or manages not to suffer abuse of one kind or another or bullying or neglect or, uh, or some other uh, uh, cause of, uh, of insecurity and anxiety and of uh, perhaps a personality style of either avoidance or uh, compliance or, or some, uh, some uh, strategy uh, that um, fixates one's consciousness in a mode of reactivity that doesn't allow growth or, uh, or the development of one's uh, spontaneous uh, heartfelt joy and love to express itself out of fear of the reactions of the other. So I think that, you know, this is uh, the basic challenge that everyone has, and this is a case that may be a bit more extreme than some, <clears throat> but uh, what has to happen is uh, to, uh, ground yourself uh, within a, uh, a sense of, uh, of self-recognition that uh, is not uh, dependent on a symbolic order uh, to ground you. You know, whether it's Judaism and therefore I've got to fulfill all of these mitzvot or I'm, uh, I'm going to be in trouble with God or it's some other kind of, uh, of oppressive paradigm of, uh, of reality in which one is, uh, is being internally uh, uh, abused by, uh, by, a, a, by a constant disturbance of one's peace based on superego commands that can't be fulfilled. Uh, so there's, uh, in this, the need to become empowered. And what, what most paths are really about are finding the one's sword of truth uh, one's shield of uh, purity and, 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 and goodness and one's emanation of an energy field of love uh, and, uh, and of benign uh, intentionality that will then modify the, the sense of, uh, of paranoia about one's uh, environment. But I think that, uh, that this is a process that can only happen when you have completely let go, uh, at least at the quantum level of the actual mind, of uh, any sense of uh, obligation or, or failure to meet the demands of an institution, whether a religious institution or political or social or racial or whatever it is, and, uh, and to... Uh, to have been individuated enough that you can stand alone 
and uh, and declare your own uh, uh, your own right to the freedom to discover who you are without any input from uh, any others, and then trust yourself to uh, to be able to enter into your heart and feel its inherent wisdom that will give you a sense of being home and the journey is over and all is well. And then there will be no dependence on an external pope or God or mullah or rabbi or, uh, or whatever to uh, validate you. I hope that's uh, helpful. When I try to have a conversation or communicate what's going on in the world now on so many levels with my nearest and dearest, there's no way to reach them with my message or way to see it. And it just creates conflict and I have to let it go. This is kind of what I was talking about, that uh, people can't communicate anymore. You know, the, the vaxxed and the unvaxxed can't communicate. Uh, the, uh, the binary gendered and the transgendered can't communicate. And, you know, there, there are so many splits and, and ruptures uh, in our culture that people who come from a different paradigm of right and wrong and good and bad uh, have no way to, to create common ground. So uh, what that means is you have to let go uh, and uh, not try to communicate or have a conversation. If someone comes to you because they are open to relating, then of course it will happen. But you, you must uh, let go of trying to either control or rescue anyone. Uh, and that goes for one's own children. Part of this question goes on that, that this woman is a mother who's, who couldn't stop her son from choosing to get vaxxed, even though she was against it, and, uh, and now is you know, in sorrow about that. But the, the point is that we have to accept the karma as perfect that everyone is going through and, uh, and not mourn over what is actually awakening all of us and, uh, and that we, we must uh, accept with, uh, with grace. Because your children don't belong to you. All are God's children. You mustn't take uh, responsibility in which you don't have the power to, uh, to control what occurs. And... Uh, to give the freedom to all to uh, go the way that their destiny uh, prevails uh, upon them to do. So, yes, she says it's extremely hard as a mother when it comes to your children. <laughs> so that paradigm of mother-child, especially to an 18-year-old you know, child who is an adult, has to be dissolved. It's only a belief, it's not real. 
And then the next question is, uh, someone has curved spine, curvature of the spine that they had since childhood, uh, but then uh, apparently uh, this, this person was able to dance anyway and, uh, and was okay, but then the curve has suddenly come back and become severely worse, and doctors say an operation now is the only solution. Uh, but she, the, she wants to know, because I taught that every symptom is a symbol, uh, could there be a, a psychosomatic uh, key to this? It feels like it not only holds emotions from my own childhood trauma, but also that of my parents, that I, as a child, believe I had to hold, yes, took in their internal family systems, indeed, or take responsibility for, and maybe even of earlier uh, ancestors. Yes, okay, so uh, I think this is a, a universal issue, actually, because a lot of people, if they don't have curvature of the spine, still they have back pain. You know, how many people need back massages uh, regularly, right? So the, the backbone is the axis mundi, uh, and it, it, the, it is what connects, you know, chakra seven down to chakra one, right? And, uh, and up, it's the, it's the central sushumna nadi, uh, and the ida and the pingala are wrapped around it, right? So we're dealing with all of the main um, cognitive and... Uh, psychological, emotional energies that are in the process of being sublimated. And uh, if that uh, spine does not remain strong and begins to curve, it's going to create uh, glitches and folds in the tubes that are carrying up the energy. Literally, it can create blockages and knots. So, uh, you, you know, uh, Sri Ramana, whenever he talks about Shiva, he, he almost always says Arunachala Shiva. He doesn't just say Shiva. His, his, uh, his Ishtadev is Arunachala Shiva. Why? Arunachala is the mountain. It's like the axis mundi. It's the spinal cord that connects Shiva to the earth. Uh, and spirit to dirt, to rock, to, to the earth element, and to all of the elements that then you know, grow from that earth element. So the, uh, the spinal cord, if early in life one did not get enough support from the parents, uh, to, to and make you feel really confident about yourself, then the spinal cord is not going to be erect. It's going to wobble. It's going to feel insecure. It's going to feel weak and be easily displaced and uh, requiring chiropractic manipulation, you know, to uh, deal with pinched nerves and with all kinds of issues that will come as a result. So there is a, uh, the backbone is, is the central uh, channel of the developmental processes of consciousness from one assemblage point to the next. And those points where the curvature is happening 
are points where uh, the, uh, the, the vertical uh, development got deviated to some degree. And, uh, and you must find uh, the deviation or the hesitation and resistance to grow to the next level and therefore to let go of the previous level, right? And specifically, this becomes the challenge when one has to let go of chakra three in order to be in chakra four, right? You have to let go of the desire to control and to dominate if you're going to be in the chakra of love. And, and so uh, that, that shift in values and uh, from a paranoid uh, uh, relationality to one that is uh, uh, in a state of good faith and of uh, benevolence and uh, benign projection uh, will challenge uh, the ability of one to trust one's sense of safety under such uh, conditions of perception. If you, if you deal with all of those at, at whatever levels of the back you're feeling this, probably at, in the lower back, but also, I, I would say, around the heart, then uh, you will be able to heal this. Trust in God and keep that connection so that the power of God straightens your back and brings you into, it's like the arrow hitting the target and uh, the problem will disappear. Um, okay, and another part of the question was uh, about a, a traumatic divorce and abandonment also being part of this back issue. And yes, I agree, that's also uh, one of the, the reasons for it. Okay, could you say more on what is intersubjectivity? Okay, well, I hope this isn't boring to people, but I, I want to give, you know, the, the answer to that question we could take hours on. There's a whole uh, industry uh, built uh, on the question of intersubjectivity, literally. Uh, people get their PhD in intersubjectivity. And it's an intersection of philosophy and uh, psychology and psychoanalysis and sociology and uh, nearly all of them uh, are, uh, are trying to get a piece of the action uh, in this concept because it's, it's like a, an academic fad and uh, it's, it's got some uh, explanatory potentiality if, un if it's understood correctly. One of the advances made in the understanding of intersubjectivity that I think is most important is that of Edith Stein. Remember Edith Stein? She was a Jewish woman who became a Catholic saint. Uh, one of a number of Jewish women who did that, by the way. Um, and uh, she was a student of Edmund Husserl and was getting her PhD. I actually think she got her doctorate before she became a Catholic nun. Uh, and uh, she wrote a, a, a book, it may have been her thesis, 
on the problem of empathy. And she, what she, uh, she discovered through her, her, her practice of phenomenology, which is a, a philosophical approach to relating to reality, uh, which I won't try to explain right now, but what she discovered was you could not have a, a deep intersubjective relationship with another, which means that you could actually sense uh, what they were subjectively feeling, and, uh, and you could tell if they were accurately uh, uh, resonating with what you were subjectively feeling, right? Uh, you could, that could not occur without empathy. Okay, so, uh, so she brought empathy into this field of, of intersubjectivity. And, and then the question is, uh, why is it you can feel empathy for some people but not for others? Uh, and, uh, and so the, the whole question of intersubjectivity then comes back to many of these issues of, uh, of what thought community you're in. You know, a lot of times you'll hear somebody say something like, uh, I like the way you think, you know, or, or I think the same way you do. And, and, and when one can resonate at the cognitive level, then it also tends to open the heart more and say, yes, we're on the same page. You get it. I get it. Now we can, you know, make something happen. And, and so uh, that empathic resonance can trigger uh, the opening of a much deeper intersubjective connection that would otherwise uh, be vague and, uh, uh, and, and full of miscommunication. Uh, but, uh, you know, there are, there are many other factors. Those are just the ones that uh, are at the top of my mind about all of the uh, the, the factors that will affect whether uh, a deep intersubjective uh, connection is made or not, and if it's stable or if it's uh, volatile and uh, and can be uh, can be lost or shaken or or uh, uh, wounded, injured in some way, and this will depend on. Uh, the, the nature of the collapsed wave functions and uh, the willingness to allow the intersubjective connection to decollapse your wave function so that there is no longer a boundary between yin and yang or between self and other. And, uh, and now the mutuality becomes a, a, a kind of uh, unity in duality that can enhance the growth of both parties toward a realization of a non-duality that's beyond uh, the intersubjective and, and even beyond interbeing. And then uh, the relationship becomes absorbed into a, a, a universal a relation of empathic love rather than simply a dyadic one. Uh, and so uh, love tends to become more uh, boundless. It w love wants to be infinite. It doesn't want to be finite. You know, love doesn't just want to be projected on one other person 
or on two or three people at most. You know, I don't love anyone but my family. And, you know, I, love wants to be infinite. And so the resistances uh, to uh, infinite, unconditional love uh, begin to disappear the more that one can trust that boundaryless state. Does that make sense? I find myself uh, not sticking to silence that is experienced in meditation. I get filled with energy and want to use it. Does the stable sticking to it happen on its own? Here's what you have to understand. Uh, It doesn't matter if if the the mind shouldn't remain inactive as it is in meditation when you are busy doing work during the day. What has to be recognized is whether the mind is moving and active or completely still and inactive, it's still just mind. And you are not mind. But the state of the mind should make no difference to you. Uh, and, And therefore, there will be no sense of, oh, I lost it. You can't lose your mind. You, you might lose what you thought was your mind, but all you are is mind, you see? And so uh, the more that you uh, do not discriminate between one state and another, the more you'll recognize th- that it's all one and uh, there's no need to correct anything or uh, uh, try to, uh, uh, to connect anything that seems to be separated because nothing can ever be separate from the whole. <clears throat> Is there anyone else here with a question, by the way? If I, you can interrupt me if anyone wants to go to the mic. Please feel free. Oh, don't feel too free because we're <laughs> running out of time. Sorry. I felt too free. Uh, any advice for spiritual warriors not present at the ashram? No, it doesn't matter whether you're present at the ashram. We're all present in the same mind. That's all that counts. And so uh, regardless of where the body is, you're not the body, and you really should not believe you have any relationship to the body or care whether it's alive or dead. Uh, and uh, the ashram is everywhere. Arunachala is everywhere. It's not, it's not a mountain in India. That's just a, an idea. That mountain is in your mind. And uh, don't, don't uh, try to locate yourself anywhere in order to activate something that you think requires a pilgrimage or a permission or a condition. It's all unconditional. Uh, Okay, this one's not really a question. I can skip it. Uh, And, uh, okay, the last one uh, is, I think, yeah, it is the last one. Okay, during the retreat, uh, uh, hearing a certain kind of, uh, of information uh, 
the, my elimination channel got blocked up, she said. I, I think it means uh, constipation. Okay, so it, can I free myself of the misery I'm in? Is there something in my subconscious making this happen, or have I chosen to experience these permutations for my learning and growth, and therefore all is well when I completely accept what's going on? Uh, okay, etc. So here's the, the issue with that. In, uh, in that stage of early uh, infancy, toilet training, for example, uh, the, the, uh, there's a binary that happens to the infant of either expelling or retaining. Uh, and uh, the expulsion uh, can be an act of anger or it can be an act of compliance and I'm producing what you want, mom, you know, uh, or I'm gonna withhold it and I'm gonna keep it and I'm gonna make you wait, you know, and uh, uh, the, the relationship uh, of the sphincter, the anal sphincter to the mother is, is the place of the power struggle in which the infant uh, begins to recognize its power to control the mother if it felt she wasn't there sufficiently during the breastfeeding phase. And now the only way to hold on to her is, and to get her approval is either the expulsive or the retentive uh, position. And it's the retentive that often makes you feel full rather than empty and lacking and having lost uh, the only thing you had that got their attention, you know. So it, it becomes a, uh, a security move uh, to block the channel. And uh, if you can let go of any sense of needing to hold on or protect yourself or uh, to control uh, how open you are and, and how especially the heart, which is related uh, as well to the same uh, erogenous zone because it's about the love of the mother uh, then also becomes related at, at every other level uh, as uh, the question of your giving yourself or not to the world, to the other, to God, uh, to uh, the, the ultimate uh, acceptance of non-existence and, uh, and uh, the, the attainment of Buddhahood, which is beyond the opening and closing. Uh, and uh, it's, it's that level of control that's at the core of the ego that has to be released. And then the symptom will disappear. Okay? Was this helpful to people here, the, these... These questions? Yeah? Okay. I'm sorry for going over time, but uh, I'm glad we at least got through them all and that, uh, you know, uh, it seems like everyone's questions did get answered and clarified. And my hope is that this retreat uh, will prove to have given information that will be useful in your self transformation and in the deconstruction and decollapse of all the wave functions uh, which have limited uh, your access to your own infinite intelligence, intelligence and infinite bliss. 
and the release of suffering and pain forever. May you all bless yourselves with that gift of liberation. Namaste. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste.